Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Weight of Fatherhood podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Phillips, and I'm, I'm joined today by Matt Bianco, who I'm calling a guest, even though Matt and I go way back. Matt is now CEO of the Cersei Institute. Congratulations. Um, and also a well-known teacher, conference speaker. His real claim to fame, of course, is that Matt and I used to share an office at Cersei. Good times. Yep. Good times. Good times. And for the record, I started working from my home office. I, we didn't have a big falling out or anything, <clears throat> at least not that we're going to discuss on air. Now, <laughs> no, Matt has been um, a dear friend and um, a great influence in the world of classical education. And we've done several podcasts together in the past, normally about um, something related to uh, teacher training or specific works of literature, uh, cultural things. Um, but Matt, thank you for joining me. This is a, a kind of a different sort of podcast, um, but I appreciate you joining me here during this first season of The Weight of Fatherhood. It's good to have you. Well, being that I know everything about fatherhood, I figured it was perfect show for me to come on. So, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I thought we should just go ahead and call out the big guns while we're getting started, you know, let people yeah. know the sorts of things they can expect to come. It's all downhill from after Matt's podcast. So, um, now I, I asked you to do this episode because even though I, as I mentioned, you know, you're with the Cersei Institute, you, people do know you as a teacher, as a, as a speaker, but one of the things that, that people may not know about you is that you authored a book on fatherhood back in 2014 and, or it was published in 2014. I'm sure it was in the works well before then, but, um, it's called letters to my sons. So, um, Matt, what, what inspired you to write that book? Well, <laughs> good question. Um, probably because there was so much wisdom in my head ready to explode that I just needed an outlet for it, you know? Um, <laughs> and so I just, it was, it was like, I was, um, I was intellectually constipated and I needed to get, <laughs> I needed to get that wisdom out. And so I wrote a book. Uh, was it wisdom or just voices in your head? <laughs> <laughs> voices, multiple voices just coming in from every direction. Couldn't control it. Um, honestly, it was, it was my oldest son had graduated from high school and was taking a gap year. And so he had, he had moved out of the house and he was going to live. Um, actually, the gap year program was in the same town where we lived, but he was going to live kind of across town in an apartment with roommates and so he was gone, right? The oldest is out of the house. The next one's just a couple years behind him. And then the last one's a couple years behind him. And I think part of it was just like, I'm scared, right? Like yeah. my, my firstborn, my eldest son has just left the house. And I don't know if I've done a good job. I don't know if I've right. told him everything I need to tell him. I don't know if I've showed him everything I need to show him. Um, 
all of that stuff and you start it just starts kind of coming at you and yeah yeah i was like well i'm just gonna write down everything i know and then right this kind of desire to suddenly catch up on everything that that flew by you right um because it i mean everyone knows this every parent knows this the time goes by so fast it flies by and that's it's such a, uh, it's almost a cliche, right? But um, I'm sort of ex- beginning to experience that, you know, our, our oldest is 13 now. We actually have a teenager. Um, and I know you're, you're past that as far as how old your kids are, but yeah, I'm starting to get a glimpse of that, that, uh, and more and more that, you know, they're just like two of our four children are bigger than my wife now, you know, um, which granted yeah. it's very short, but still, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think we, I think we all understand that feeling too. Um, I mean, you've, you've written other works and you and I have even done some, some book projects together, um, the tales of wonder books and so on, but, and you've done other writing projects, but I imagine writing this, you know, writing letters to my sons felt unique. It was probably a very different experience for you. Right. So how, uh, how different was it writing something so personal? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you know, for other projects, like you want to get it right. You want to say something that's right, but you don't, you don't ever want to write a book and then have the readers come back and say, what, that's completely wrong. That's not true. Um, for any book, I think the, uh, or even, even articles or essays or whatever, you know, talks at conferences. Right? And, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but with this one, it's like, I'm kind of putting everything out there and, and, kind of kind of saying like this is how you should go about life Mm. um this is how you should interact with other people and this is how you should understand or understand you know the ways that you'll interact with other people and so there it's like i I really don't want to get it wrong like i don't want to get it wrong in the sense of presenting it in a way that makes it easy to reject but i also don't want to present it in a way that like the way that i present it is wrong in the sense that it's like I just turned it into a bunch of, you know, legalistic rules, Um, you know, trying to avoid, trying to avoid wrongness at various angles because, you know, because I want them to receive it as whatever, whatever little bit of wisdom was in those words, right. I want them to to get to that and, and not miss it because I did something wrong. So it was, it was probably the first and it's probably the thing that, well, at, at that point, it definitely would have been the very first thing that I spent as much time as I did reviewing it, editing it, proofing it, paying somebody else to edit it, you know, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Well, and yeah, right. the nature of it, too, I imagine it's, it's, it's really impossible when you're writing. Essentially, it's, it, I guess if it fits a genre, it's almost like a, a, a bit of wisdom literature, right? That's the attempt. Um, and whenever you write something like that, you know, full well, even going in, this is never going to be perfect. Right. Right. It it can't be because they're there. You know, we don't have perfect wisdom, but, but then knowing, knowing too, that your, your children, uh, your sons in particular are the primary audience to this. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big weight. So I know that that, you know, it's one thing to teach writing, you know, to teach students or even adults how to, how to write essays or different types of uh, writing, but uh, engaging in something like this, I think is a different animal altogether. Um, 
in the book, uh, you included a lot of different letters um, covering some really important issues and particularly important issues for young men, for your sons, adultery, sexual sin, temptation, family, relationships, and so on. Um, which of the, which of the letters was most difficult for you to write to your sons? And I told you, we're not going to end this episode until I make you cry. So here, this, this is my first overt attempt. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding about that, of course, but, but what do you think was the, the hardest thing to actually give advice to your sons about? Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, be, be as personal as you want to be, Matt. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so there's a couple that kind of vie for being the most difficult, um, but for different reasons. So, so the first one is just the, the it's actually the introduction um, because in the introduction, I'm not even really talking to them as much as I'm talking to any other person who might've right. happened upon it. Right. But in the writing of that introduction, I think it, it I think my own childhood and the fact that I grew up with an absentee father, mm. not, not absentee like abandonment, but absentee more like Odysseus where he was just off working. And then it wasn't in the soldier or, or a sailor, but he was a truck driver. And so he was just gone all the time. Right. And realizing that I'm introducing a book in which I say things to my kids that I never had said to me. And I think there was a there was a um, a difficulty there, kind of with coming to terms with that or facing it, like admitting it to myself, maybe for the first time that, as much as I love my dad, and he he passed away in two thousand nine, so just a few years before mm. um, I started working on the book, the uh, recognize reckoning that with that that as much as I love him. And he's gone now and I can't, I don't have this from him and I don't have a way to get it. Yeah. Um, I think that, that so in, in an odd way, the introduction was really, was hard for me. Sure. Um, the, the, there's, there's a letter, there's a letter in there called finding the right distance that was difficult because I think in that one, I perhaps use a personal example from my own failures, probably the most vividly in that letter more than in others. In others, I always it was it always tended to be more general, or the examples were positive, um, but or there are other people's examples, you know. But in in that letter, there's it's I use myself as an example, uh, a negative example, and and that's hard, right? Because I'm admitting something to my sons about my own weakness and. And not wanting to, not wanting to give them permission to succumb to the same temptation because, well, Dad did, and sure, you know, he wasn't strong enough to overcome it. How am I going to be? Or however they might excuse it in themselves, you know. So I don't want to do that, but I also wanted to be vulnerable and honest with them, and 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 trying to figure out like whether that's the right thing to do, and then how to say it, and then am I going to regret it, and you know, all that stuff to come with it. Um, that's a, that's a that tough balance, was, isn't it? So that's always a very tough balance to maintain because as, as fathers, um, as, as parents, we, we want to, we want to be honest with our kids. You, you know, I think one of the most dangerous things we can do is kind of project the idea that we're perfect, that we don't make mistakes. 
Um, we need to be quick to confess, quick to apologize, quick to admit wrong, quick to, to make it right, you know, um, and, and model that for them while at the same time, we know that we do need to maintain a kind of moral authority. And that means that they, they also have to see that, you know, we're, we're learning from our mistakes and not just kind of wallowing in them. And, and so that is sort of a, a fine line between how much do I share, you know, how much do they really need to know about, right. Uh, they need to know that their dad is fallen and imperfect and in need of confession. Um, but mm. do they need to know how much, you know? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Well, and, the, and, the, and the idea too, that like, like to some extent, you know, we dads are examples to our children and, Am I, am I setting the example by appearing to be a good example or am I setting the example by being what I actually am, right. but then exemplifying the way I respond to those failures? Um, and so, you know, there's on the one hand, like there's things you just never want to tell your kids. Sure. Um, and, and probably, you know, depending on how far back they are, that's, that's appropriate, right? Like they don't need to know every single thing. Um, but when, but when something happens in front of them or around them or something that they're, they become privy to, then, you know, trying to deny those failures or hide those failures seems counter, it seems counterproductive because the better example there is, look, this is what repentance looks like when you, when you do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if, um, you talked about the most difficult ones to write, um, <clears throat> are there any that stood out to you as, you know, and it could have been when you were writing it or, or once the book was complete where you would look back and say, that's the most important one. If they, if they latch on to that one, that that's probably the most important. And if so, you know, why? Um, when I wrote it, it was the chapter, the letter love is liturgical. Mm. Um, in, in that, in that letter, I, I'm trying to, and in the letter before it kind of sets it up, but I'm trying to think through with them what love is and that, you know, at their age, love is very emotional, right? They, they're smitten by you know, the young lady in class or whatever, um, the, the girl at church or in, neighborhood or whatever and and i and i i wanted to communicate that you know that that's fine like like that those emotions those feelings matter they do something to us but but in the end like that's that's i don't feel that 25 years later with my wife right like that's not or or if i do that's not the thing that keeps me at her side the thing that keeps me at her side is the the, the, the life that we've lived together, the habits that we've created with each other, the, the everything, the culture of our, of our home and our relationship and, um, and the, the loyalty and the commitment that results from those activities or, or behaviors, the liturgy of our lives is, is my point there. And I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to push them past the emotional part of the feelings part of love that 
that feelings can come and go, feelings can go away, but the, it's those, those practices, those liturgies that can um, sustain us, that do sustain us past the, flee, the fleeting emotions. And, and more importantly, that it's those liturgical practices in the, in the home, in the family, in the relationship with the wife, with your wife that can renew those feelings if they are lost, Right. that we can revive them. We can bring them back by like, if, if I think in the letter, I describe it as, you know, I give an example of a man going away on a workshop for two, two months or whatever. And then, and then some of the practices and the habits and the rituals that he had with his wife get lost. And he starts perhaps creating those with somebody else that's on the work trip with him and maybe starts finding that he has feelings for her. And then, and then we can confuse those feelings with what love is come back and think, well, I'm really in love. I'm, I fell out of love with you and now I'm in love with this other woman. But the reality is that I can, we can not easily, but we can recreate those. We can reinstitute those practices. We can end the practices with this alien woman as it were, and, and reestablish them with the, the wife of our youth and, and that itself can revi- re- revive the, the feelings that we are longing for. Yeah. Um, so, you know, trying to communicate that. And so, so those, those two letters, that, that, that one letter in particular and the one that sets it up, I think I felt were the most important. Mm-hmm. And when, when the, the, the lady that had edited the book for me before it went to press, I guess, she came to me after the book was written or after she had gone through the whole book and said, that that chapter was the most important important to her, hmm. uh, and that and she she actually said, "I think you could write an entire book on marriage just from that chapter." Um, yeah, I didn't, yeah. of course, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it it was to her. Um, now, as I was perfect time through, to launch it if you if you got it you got it for yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. First. Uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> the, the announcement. <laughs> I'm going to write a book on marriage. No, I'm probably not. The, uh, when I was looking through it, though, in advance of this, I think there's more in that thankfulness letter, the, mm. well, the last letter or the, almost the, the last substantive letter, the one before the concluding letter. But yeah. I think thankfulness is, is it, it's, it, it probably ought to be, it probably ought to be more expanded and, and thought about in the, in the letter, in the book and um, emphasized a little bit more. But yeah. Well, that was uh, actually the, uh, what I wanted to kind of follow up with there is, as I mentioned at the beginning, you, the book, the book was uh, published in 2014. Um, so now that, now that some time has passed, you know, both of your sons are out of college. Now your youngest is in college. Um, what starting your junior year already? Is that right? That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Other people's kids make you feel old too. Right. Um, you know, but uh, but now that some time has passed, um, other, other than expanding a bit on thankfulness, um, is there anything you would change in those letters or, or any new letters that you would add to the book now that you have a little bit more, uh, more yeah. experience behind you? Um, there's probably a little bit of both. I think in, early in the book, I, I, I'm trying to talk to them about you know, rules versus principles and timelessness versus timeliness, I, I guess kind of universals versus particulars. And I was, I was actually just thinking the other day that there's a line from John Chrysostom where he says, 
that if two if two people came to him and were seeking you know advice or counsel on the exact same sin, they both had committed the exact same sin and were going to him for for counsel. He says that the the, the response that he would give to each of them would be different because they're different people. And I don't I'm expanding on my own thoughts now but but the idea that that like even the punishment as it were or whatever the way we respond to things good or bad um reward or punishment has to take into account the the nature of the person that we're interacting with even my own nature for myself or yours for you and and you know maybe maybe this is a little bit of like what lewis talks about love languages or, or somebody talks about love languages i can't remember and that, you know, there's certain certain things that motivate us or drive us and that we look for in love, you know, that even, even I guess, thinking a little bit more about circumstances, um, the circumstances of the person, the circumstances of the event, yeah. not to, not to, not to relativize the behavior and, and say, well, oh, it was sin for this guy, but it's not for this other guy. That's not what I mean at all. But, but taking circumstances into account, like, what does it mean that this person fell into this sin? And what does it mean that this other person fell into this sin? And, and, you know, does one person need, because of his own circumstances, his own nature, his own person need something harsher or less harsh based on that. So I, I guess, I guess I'd want to talk a little bit more about the role of circumstances with respect to the principles um, or, or with respect, with respect to the application of the principles that are in the book. And I, I, I think I do talk about it, but, but I probably want to develop that a little bit further. Yeah. As far as new letters, I think, that, I think that the new letter that I would want to write most, or letters that I would want to write most, is um, just stuff that I've learned about the parts of the soul and or the kinds of desires that we have, like the, the desires of the appetite, the the passions, um, the emotions, and then the intellectual desires um, and spiritual desires, and 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 help us to un- helping them, my my sons or the readers of the book, I guess, to see how those desires are competing with each other for control of the person, and that there are ways that that we can train those desires to be governed properly and mm-hmm. i probably want to ex- expand on that more right because all these most of the letters in the book are about you know the 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 behaviors that we engage in the human human activity we engage in because of those desires and then how do we kind of regulate the the external actions um but it seems like there's a way to to think about how do i regulate the internal actions so that those desires aren't as controlling, I guess. Yeah. So how making men with chests, right? Yeah. Yes. The the tripartite soul that Plato describes and Lewis commented on. And um, yeah, it's very true. How to, how to keep the the appetites of the belly um, and the appetites of the mind in check through the, the chest right? The, the courage and strength. Yeah. Um, well, what did you, what did you learn about yourself as you wrote this book? what did you learn about fatherhood? Does anything stand out to you as being 
Um, I mean, because I, I think most of us know if you've, you've done any, any writing or speaking or giving, even giving advice to people, um, one of the things that happens, whether you mean it to or not, is that you end up learning something that you didn't know before, either about the subject, topic, or um, most frighteningly about yourself in the process, right? But um, yeah. how, did, how did writing the book affect you? I think there were times when, <laughs> this is kind of dumb, but I think there were times when I thought, that's really good. Like, I'm smarter than I even realized, right? Right, right. <laughs> That's a really good point, Matt. Um, so there was like, there are like these times when I thought, wow, I'm, I'm wiser perhaps than I thought I was. And then there are other times where I'm like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? Yeah. Like, yeah. you're an idiot. Um, so there was this, there was this like roller coaster of, of, impressing myself and depressing myself <laughs> like which one one letter after the other one yeah, some, paragraph after another yeah sometimes in the, in the same same chapter yeah yeah <laughs> um so that kind of surprised me and then and 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 thinking about you know my own journey because it forces me to think about my own journey right like i mentioned earlier you know the 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 idea that you know, having to reckon with the fact that I didn't have a father who did this with me, right. um, that, uh, that I had to kind of figure it out for myself, which is not really true because I figured it out by looking to other people, right. Looking at other examples, but, but doing, you know, having to do that and not having the example kind of thrust before me by the presence of my father. And then, and then from there going through my own, life of you know when i when i converted to christianity i mean when i was saved the my version of christianity i think as a young as a young convert was very rules oriented mm -hmm. um, this is what i have to do to be a christian and um and then and then my own kind of growing from the rigid application of the rules to kind of understanding the the purpose behind them and the, the, the telos as it were, you know, the, um, the principles behind it all. And, you know, understanding that these rules make sense. They're, they're not rules just so we have something to follow. They're, they make, they rules because they make sense, right? I, yeah. An image, the fact that, that one is an image of God requires certain ways of interacting with other images of God. Um, and, and to do something to an image of God is to do something to God, right? Like when the flood happens and then there's, there's the, the law is given for murder and death penalty are instituted. Um, the death penalty is instituted. The, you know, it, it, God says to Noah that, or God says in that passage that, you know, if you, because he killed the image of God, it seems it was an attack on God. Um, so, I mean, it, just, just learning to, to think from it, to think about it myself from the perspective of rules to the perspective of um, it making sense in light of how, what we really are and what God really is. Um, and then trying to put that on paper for them, for others to, to go beyond, you know, wooden regulations to understanding it. That was, that was, that required me to kind of examine that path that movement in my own life, my own way of thinking, and then putting it there. Um, the, what did I learn about fatherhood? I, I mean, I learned that it's stinking hard mm. and, 
that it's important and that most of us have no idea what we're doing. Um, but I, but you know what I think I also learned was like in a weird way, I don't think the book was needed. Like it was, like I needed it and maybe someday they will need it. But it's not like, it's not like my son, like, like I published it, gave him a copy with a little inscription in the front, you know? Yeah. And then he went to bed that night, read the book and then came out a holier and wiser person than he are, you know, than what he already was. He did not, not, they didn't do anything like that. Like that, that's not how that works. Right. It's not, that's not how it works. And and the, the reality is like, whatever I was feeling about my failures or my, what I didn't live up to as a father for, for each of them at that point, I don't, I don't know that I was right. Like, like they got what they got and, and they were already, they had already moved or were moving into manhood and independence. And there was nothing that I could say or do to stop that. There was nothing that I was going to write to rectify it. I, I think the book probably has probably had very little impact on my children at that point. Yeah. And I think it's important to probably be to them when they're in this place. Yeah. When, when, when they they're the age that you were when you're writing it. Yeah. 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 I think that's when it'll mean something to them. That's when it'll be the most important to them. Or, you know, if I, if, when I pass away, um, then, uh, <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Then, no. <laughs> um, you know, then it'll be, it'll, it'll be meaningful then probably, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. it'll be the thing, something they have to remember me by, but, yeah. um, d- you know, there's this passage in Charlotte Mason where she talks about how, um, our children become independent, whether we prepare them for it or not. Yeah. And that, and that you can't slow that down. You can't stop it. You can't hold them back. Like either you release them into the world as a bunch of unprepared, ill-prepared ignoramuses, or you prepare them. But either way, they get released into the world. You cannot stop that. Um, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. That's not a direct quotation from Charlotte Mason. Just that would have been really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, like, I think that's something that I've learned kind of after the fact, like, I think there was a part of me that thought by writing the book, I'm going to give this to them. And then there, it's just going to be like a brain dump. Like I'm just going to yeah. brain dump through the pages of the book into their minds. And then they'll know everything that they needed to know to be adults. Yeah. But I think the reality is they already knew, like they'd lived with me for 18 years, 19 years, 17, whatever it was at the point, you know? Um, and they'd already seen whatever examples that I had provided for them. They'd already heard, the way I interacted and they'd seen and heard the way I interacted with other people, their mothers, them, their siblings, people at church, cousins, work, whatever. They'd seen all that. They knew. Well, um, it's, it, it's an important reminder. It's something that we talk about a lot in the realm of the classroom. Uh, but I think for classical educators, we, we have the tendency to sometimes want to book everything, you know, like every, every, every problem finds its solution in a, in a book. Um, right. And we talk about it when we regard, uh, when we talk about pedagogy, the, we learn by imitation, you know, mimetic teaching, uh, it's important to embody these things and so on. But, um, 
but that sounds so, um, kind of theoretical. Um, but what, when it really comes down to it, what we're talking about is incarnation, right? Uh, and the fact that your sons, my sons, you know, our, our, all of our children, the people around us, our friends, our family members, they're, they're going to learn through human interaction. They're going to learn by what they see us do. Um, and I think that's a very important realization. That's not to say that, that the book is not important. Um, and I think, as you said, it probably didn't have the kind of impact at the time, you know, the immediate effect that you would have dreamed that it could have had, right? right. Um, but in the long run, um, the, the, the book can be a part of that. But it's really going to be a part of it, uh, a part of their development as, as men, you know, probably, I, I think you, you might be right. I mean, who knows, but uh, we can't really peer into their souls when they were teenagers or, you know, when they're adults right. or whatever, but, but it can be a part of it, but um, their development of men as men is really going to come through what they've seen from you uh, far more powerfully than, than the words of the book. And then um, what they've seen from, from you as their father is going to be echoed you know, and maybe magnified when they, when they read it, you know, that, ah, that's what he was doing. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what he was going for. I see. Yeah. That, you know, Seneca has a, has a line where he talks about the idea that examples are the most efficient, best way to teach. And that precepts are, are a longer, a longer way to teach it, and and of course, I think he's saying so he's kind of taking the two of setting setting them beside each other, right? Examples or incarnational, you know, ideas, and then the precepts, the book, the words, right? And he's saying that the examples, the incarnational way, is the the most efficient way to teach, the most effective way to teach, and precepts are the long, slow path. But from the teacher's perspective, like that's from the student's perspective, right? Like they learn more effectively from examples than they do from precepts. But from the teacher's perspective, we think we can get it to them faster by giving them the precepts. Right. And that, that, um, that, that can be a distraction, I think for us. Right. That, and, and maybe, maybe even an excuse, like I don't have to lead by example. Yeah. My, my, my mom used to say when I was a kid, my mom used to say, um, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Right. Like, like in a way she was saying, listen to my precepts, not to don't watch my examples. Right. Don't look at my examples. Yeah. Um, and the, the, uh, it always cracked me up. Um, especially now, as I know, but she, but <clears throat> like she knew, like she knew and she knew that, that, that we learn by example rather than by, word and was trying to like tell me not to do that because right. <laughs> the, the words were better than the examples. So I don't, you know, maybe the book will be great because this, my kids will see, hopefully God, God, please that, that I did live out these principles, you know, and that they, these principles, these precepts are reinforcing the examples that they got. But you know, I, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's more important for us to just love our kids and, and, you know, guide them and our everyday, behaviors absolutely yeah well matt uh thank you so much for taking time out to to join me for this episode today uh again the book is called letters to my sons a humane vision for human relationships by mg bianco is the 
the name on the title. His name's Matt, but uh, you can call him MG from now on. It's more like, you know, C.S. Lewis. And right. <laughs> I didn't have two middle names, so I couldn't go J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, so. And, uh, well. My daughter makes fun of me because on the back it says, there's a little yellow, <laughs> the, the, the book cover is supposed to look like a desk, and on the back there's a little yellow yeah. sticky note. And it says, is he a modern day C.S. Lewis? No but he really enjoys reading him. <laughs> My daughter makes fun of me for that all the time. <laughs> well, hey, at least she read it. The, I mean, the back, the back cover anyway. <laughs> it's, it's what's funny is that of, of people, like of teenagers, of the te- most of the teenagers that have told me they've read this book mm-hmm. are her friends. Oh, wow. Kind of interesting. Like my daughter somehow has... I don't know. I mean, I don't think she's going, like, she's not my agent, right? She, my publicist. She's not going around, like, telling people about the book. But for some reason, multiple friends of hers have have purchased the book, read the book, told me about it. Well, I, I imagine there are probably a good number of moms that tune into this podcast, too. I, I think it's that women are just more thoughtful than we are. But that's probably <laughs> And if any of the dads out there are offended, I'd be like, just think about it for two seconds, okay? Yeah, right? Come on. Come on. Yeah. This is not a hard admission. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> we need to go back to that whole thing about confession and honesty, right? Right. Um, yeah. Well, thanks again for joining me today for this episode. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about uh, Matt Bianco's book, Letters to My Sons, and it brought up a lot of important issues for us as dads. And I want to just take a moment to make some particular application and kind of highlight the things that that I think we really need to take with us from this episode. One of the things that we discussed was the importance of honesty. And we don't need to pretend to be perfect as fathers. Our children don't need us to be perfect, don't expect us to be perfect, and don't think of us as perfect. They live with us, so they know better. But it is important that we show a kind of spiritual honesty. We're not talking about revealing every failure that we've ever had, but when we mess up in front of our kids, when they know it, when we lose our temper, we respond incorrectly, we need to model the gospel for them. And that means that we need to confess it. It means that we need to admit that we've done wrong, that we've sinned, and we need to ask their forgiveness. And in modeling the gospel for them, modeling the the need for confession, the need to seek forgiveness and restitution, all of those things are very important for us as dads. Um, it's also important that we remember our role in trying to hand down and pass on wisdom to our children. That's not done through necessarily, as Matt even said, through writing a book to your children. In fact, um, that might be one of the least effective ways, even though Matt did a great job and it was, um, it was helpful for him. And in the long run, I think will be helpful for his sons, but we pass on wisdom to our children through our day in day out life with them. We want to model what it looks like to, to try to follow and obey the Lord and, and to, to try to make wise decisions. Um, so wisdom is, I guess to put a simple definition with it is the ability to live life skillfully. And so we need to try to model that and teach that to our children. And so I want to leave you with one question. Like Matt, um, I too did not have uh, a, a great relationship with my biological father either. 
I shouldn't say Matt didn't have a great relationship. He mentioned that there was some some physical distance because of his dad's work and so on. Um, and I bet that among those of you listening, there are many, many uh, out there who would say, yeah, that's me too. So a lot of us are in, we are sort of the first generation trying to hand down uh, some of this kind of godly wisdom and modeling to our children and we're having to do it not based on necessarily what we saw or gained from our relationship with our fathers, but we're trying to do this for our children for the first time. And so I want to leave this question with you. What can you do to hand down to your children what you did not receive yourselves? All right. Give that some thoughts. And I, I think that as we contemplate that and as we meditate on these things, the Lord will use these conversations and these questions to, to make us Uh, better parents, um, better fathers, better people, and better followers of Him. So again, thanks for joining me. Hope you all have a wonderful day and tune in next time to the Weight of Fatherhood podcast. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, for my guest, Matt Bianco, today signing off. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.